today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. Our choice of sin leads us to spiritual deadness. But the good news is that because God sovereignly chooses to save many, many are saved. And in Ezekiel 36, God promises that one day, this is in the Old Testament, remember, he says, one day I'm going to remove your hearts of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, he's going to take away our heart that can't respond to God and give us a heart that can respond to God. A new heart. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. How can a believer have free will in choosing Christ and God be sovereign and choose those who would receive him? Pastor Ricky will be tackling this controversial issue in his teaching today. The truth of the matter is that you can't completely understand the vastness and majesty of God's being and His ways. You have to trust that somehow, some way, both these truths are a reality and work in God's plan. As a believer, you must be comfortable with God's mysteries and trust Him. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Acts chapter 18, verse 1, for part one of our message entitled, God-Grounded Confidence and God-Glorifying Effort. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And there, kind of a side note, there he's quoting some of the prophets in the Old Testament and telling the Jews in Corinth, look, I've tried to bring the word of the Lord to you and you just are unwilling to hear me. Verse 7, and he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Well, personally, I like watching some pretty cheesy TV shows. And I like a particular show that is probably one of the strangest concepts ever, which is it's about a time-traveling doctor who goes around in a police box and saves the world one episode at a time. And it's cheesy and, and terrible, but, but I tend to like it. And in one episode of this show, the, the time-traveling doctor bumps into a famous figure from history. And this figure is the painter Van Gogh. But when he meets Van Gogh, Van Gogh isn't popular. He isn't uh, well-known. People aren't 
giving him lots of money. He, doesn't, he lives sort of in a, a hovel, and he can't even trade his painting to buy food. I mean, he's given up on selling them. He's just trying to trade somebody for them. He's depressed. He's distraught. So at the end of the episode, the doctor takes him into the future and, and shows him an art museum from the future that's, that has a Van Gogh exposition. And so he walks in, and the entire room is filled with his work, work that's hanging from his fireplace and out of his bedroom rafters at that point. And everyone is stopping and staring, and there's a man lecturing about how possibly he is one of the most important painters in world history. And Van Gogh, this depressed and distraught man, begins to cry when he realizes this is not going to be for nothing. See, I wonder what it would be like to be in a moment like that if we could see the, the end result of work we're doing now. Whatever we're doing now, be able to know, to look into the future and, and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this will matter. This will not be in vain. This will be effective. Well, that's the concept that our, our passage today is dealing with. See, this, this little question is a, a huge question. This question of, knowing the end result of your work and, and whether or not that makes a difference. See, in the, in the text, as we just read, God tells Paul that there are, without a doubt, many of God's people in the city of Corinth. They just haven't been saved yet. In other words, he's, he's, not, telling, he's not referring to the people that have already been saved. He's telling them, no, I want you to keep preaching. And he says, for, in other words, because... I want you to keep preaching because I have many in this city who are my people. They just don't know it yet. So God reveals his part of his work in salvation, and then Paul responds to God's work. Paul responds to God's words in a way that is instructive for us this morning. So the main idea today, the main point today is that confidence in God's work leads to real effort in our gospel work. If we have deep-seated confidence in God's work as it relates to salvation, we're going to have, that's going to lead to real effort in the part of our gospel work. So we're going to break this down into three sections. First, we're going to look at the truth of the passage. Then we're going to look at the attitude that that truth should create in us. And then third, we're going to look at the action that should be the end result of all this. So first, let's look at the truth, the truth that God is sovereign in salvation. Now notice, he says, God says to Paul, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So Paul, God gives Paul a command, which is not to be afraid, to, to go on speaking, to not be silent. So he, he tells Paul, look, this is what your work's going to be. Your part in the work is this. To do these things. But then God goes on to tell Paul what God's work is going to be. He says, and I will protect you. I will be with you. And then he makes this amazing statement. That there are already many in the city who are his people. And this is an amazing statement. See, God is saying that he is sovereign. Which is a theological term meaning that God rules over everything absolutely. And God is saying that he is sovereign even over the salvation of people and that therefore he has sovereignly chosen to save many in the city. 
And actually, it's funny, you may think, well, that, that sounds kind of strange, but we assume this all the time, don't we? And here's how I know that you probably already assume that God is sovereign. You pray. <laughs> you're, you're, someone has slammed on their brakes in front of you, and you're coming up to that quickly. You don't know if you're going to stop in time. I, I don't care if you're a Christian or not. You're saying something to somebody, Right? <laughs> We, we have this like reaction, this gut reaction, like, Lord, help me. And if we're Christians, we pray for the salvation of people around us. See, we know and believe God really is powerful. He, if he is who he says he is, he's going to be able to open the eyes of people around us. Well, this is something that we see over and over actually in the book of Acts, that even though it's a, it's a historical letter, Luke inserts some really telling details. Earlier in the book of Luke, in, in chapter 13, Luke writes about the Gentiles receiving the gospel. And there was a line that we couldn't really pull on, but we're going to pull on it now. He writes this, And when the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the work of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. I like how Luke just throws that in there. You're like, what what does that mean, man? Yeah, so they believed, and, and as many of them as were appointed believed. See, he's pointing out, almost in a way that assumes that the early church would agree with him. He's not building out a case for this. He says, yep, you guys, you guys know how this works. As many as God appointed to eternal life believed. And this is a truth that we find in many other places in Scripture. Scripture is clear that God is the author of every part of salvation. That includes sending his son. That includes him dying on the cross for us. That includes the resurrection of Christ. But it also includes him opening our eyes so that we could believe. And right here in the text, there's evidence of God's sovereign work to save many. See, God is not a God who's just trying to keep up with what's going on. See, If we've learned anything through the book of Acts, it's that God has a plan and he's working everything in Acts toward his plan. And here you can can see some hints of this in the text we have where justice, this prominent Gentile, gets saved, which is great. He's well known. He's going to be influential. This is a key, key person influence the city. And oh, by the way, Luke says his house is right next door to the synagogue. So, they basically say, you know, we don't want you in the synagogue. And Paul says, you know what, I, I've tried to give you guys the message. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Oh, look, I found somebody that lives right next door to the synagogue. Just giving him access to people coming and going from the synagogue. It's, it's absolutely the best place Paul could have been positioned in the city of Corinth. And then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, a prominent Jew, gets saved. And so God, he, Luke's pointing out these two strategic people are saved, and, and many other Corinthians are saved as well. But later on in the text, it actually looks like there could be a challenge to whether God is really sovereign. Remember how God tells Paul, look, you're not going to be harmed. Remember that? Well, in verses 12 to 16 and 17, Luke relates that the Jews come and make a unified attack on Paul. And verse 13 says, they said, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. So there's a moment where it looks like this is outside of God's control. I mean, Paul, God has told Paul, I'm going to protect you. And all of a sudden, there's a mob. They've got him right in front of the Roman ruler. They've got a a sophisticated legal argument. They're basically arguing that that Christianity is a religio illicita, which is basically an illicit religion in the Roman world that's not condoned by the Romans and should be squelched. 
And so, what happens? Verse 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, in other words, Paul's about to give his defense, Gallio said to the Jews, Gallio just cuts him off, and it says, and he says, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have risen, reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. In other words, Gallio is saying, look, you're arguing that Christianity is this, this crazy out there religion not condoned by the Roman government. Well, you look like you're arguing from your Old Testament, your Bible there. This religion's coming out of the Bible too, so you guys deal with this. I'm not going to deal with this. And, and the significance of that little decision is actually monumental because Gallio was a prominent judge from a prominent family in the Roman world, and his decision was carefully recorded by Luke for a specific reason, and that's this, that, that Gallio's decision would carry weight throughout the Roman world. In other words, this is a respected judge. This is his legal opinion. And so many scholars believe that this actually helped protect Christianity for about a decade from any persecution, allowing the gospel to get to more and more places and flourish before persecution came. In other words, this situation that looks out of control, that looks like Paul really is going to be harmed, God turns it around and uses it, part of his plan, to protect Christianity and allow the gospel to flourish. And so it's an illustration of the fact that God is sovereign over every aspect of salvation, from who gets saved to how the gospel advances and even with who opens their eyes to see the gospel and believe. Now, if this is new to you, you probably are wrestling with an objection that I want to deal with. And the objection is this. Well, what about human responsibility? Because this concept of God knowing and choosing and deciding whose eyes to open is, is very difficult to swallow in Western cultures. Well, the good news is for all of us today that the gospel is an equal opportunity offender because the gospel offends all cultures everywhere at all time. If they're human cultures... There are things that line up with God's design, and there are things that don't line up with God's design. Certain things cultures will find offensive, other cultures won't find offensive. So for us in a radically individualist society, this is, this is strange, this is crazy. Probably almost as crazy as in the first century, Paul saying that Jews and Gentiles, slaves and freedmen are one in Christ. For him to say, your Roman citizenship isn't worth anything compared to who you are in Christ. Christ doesn't care if you're a freedman or a slave or a prominent general. You got the same standing in Christ. That was radical. That was offensive. So there are always difficult things in Scripture, is what I'm trying to help us see. There are always difficult things in Scripture, and when those difficulties come, when we're wrestling with something, we have to go straight to the Bible to allow the Bible to resolve them for us. If you think you're ultimately responsible for your choices, if you're saying, you know what, I, I think I'm responsible for what I decide to do, the Bible says you're right. You are. See, when, when Peter stands up in the beginning of the book of Acts, right, and he preaches this amazing message and 3,000 people get saved, he doesn't, when, when they cry out, what should we do to be saved? He doesn't say, well, I don't know, but God's going to save whoever he wants to. Or, or you know what, I'm not going to tell you. 
because he's just going to open your eyes. He says, no, he says, repent and believe the gospel. And as evidence of that, baptize yourselves. See, he, he treats them like, like he's calling them for a response, like they are responsible for their decision. And that's true. And the Bible affirms that. The Bible affirms throughout the New Testament that we have the responsibility to follow Christ, to seek Christ. But here's the truth that the Bible also teaches, that apart from God's sovereign work in salvation, we would never choose to be saved at a gospel invitation. And, and here's why. See, we each choose, the Bible says, to love sin and reject God. And as, as a result of that, we are under the just punishment for what we've done apart from Christ. And our choice leads us, our choice to reject God and to pursue sin leads us to a condition that Paul describes in Ephesians 2 as being spiritually dead. He says in Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, the context there it means that you were absolutely unable to respond to Christ. You were absolutely unable to say, you know what, I'm going to kind of muster up enough to, to believe. In other words, your decision to pursue sin has so hardened you, you're dead. You're not wounded. You're not mortally wounded. You're not mostly dead, Princess Bride fans. You are dead, according to Paul. Our choice of sin leads us to spiritual deadness. But the good news is that because God sovereignly chooses to save many, many are saved. And in Ezekiel 36, God promises that one day, this is in the Old Testament, remember, he says, one day I'm going to remove your hearts of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, he's gonna take away our heart that can't respond to God and give us a heart that can respond to God. A new heart, a heart that loves God. And this is good news for us. See, in a letter we call First Thessalonians, and a letter coincidentally that he wrote while he was in Corinth, Paul writes, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and, and full conviction. In other words, Paul is rejoicing that God saved them, that he had chosen them, and he knows that because they had responded to the gospel. And the other reason this is difficult for us to wrestle with is that this absolutely destroys any idea of salvation by works or of us getting credit in any way for any part of salvation. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling Listen, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. In other words, we're not saved because we do good things. And we all would probably acknowledge that as Christians. You know, we're not saved by, by reading our Bible a certain amount. We're not saved by, by doing a certain amount of things a certain amount of time. You know, we're, we're saved by grace, yes, Lord. But then it gets down to, okay, when you chose to believe in Christ, did you choose to believe could you have chosen to believe? Or did, had, did God have to give you a new heart so that you could believe? And if, if it's true that Ezekiel 36 says that God gave us a new heart, then who does the glory go to for our decision to believe in Christ? It goes to Christ. Now, I'm going to acknowledge right up front that this brings up a, a serious mental train wreck. I mean, if you 
if this is your first time here, you're probably thinking, oh man, why did I choose to walk in these doors today? I don't blame you. This is, this is heady stuff. This is, this is uh, as a pastor I, I know likes to say, this is the deep end of the theological pool. And we're just treading water here this morning. But, but the Bible affirms that we are responsible for what we do. It absolutely does. It calls us to respond to Christ. And then, once we have responded to Christ, it says, and look, God allowed even that to be possible. In other words, God's sovereignty and our responsibility can seem at times like they're opposed to each other. It could seem like, you know what, I don't understand how this could be working together. And here's the, the even more difficult part, is that it's not fully resolved in Scripture. There's, theologians have wrestled with this for a long time, that, that it, seems like, it seems clear that we have a responsibility. It seems clear that God is sovereign in salvation. What do we do? I think the, the biblical response is that we believe both and trust God. You know, for us, for me, I, I like knowing how things work. I, I like, as a kid, to, to, to whatever I could pull apart the stuff that I had to play with. I liked seeing how it would work. And we want to do that in a way with, with this moment of salvation where we believe in Christ. We want to like get in there and try to figure out exactly what went on, what step one was, what step two was. But, but here's, here's, here's the issue. That for us, in the Bible, God gives us everything we need for life and salvation. But he doesn't give us everything we could ever possibly want to know. And some things, God leaves a mystery. And this issue of, of human responsibility and God's sovereignty, he leaves intentionally a mystery for us. But I want to use an illustration that might help a little bit. See, when, when you're a child, you get into little mental car wrecks all the time. And it's because you, you, there's some things you just don't understand. You just, you just can't get arranged in your brain. See, some kids... Don't understand how we live, you know, you're telling them, we live in El Paso. Okay, El Paso. And then you tell them later, we live in Texas. We love Texas. They're like, no, we live in El Paso. And later on you tell them, you know, we live in America. No, we don't. We live in Texas. You said we live in Texas. We live in Texas, in America, in El Paso. And you can see their little, like, heads going, what? And I, every once in a while, you get a kid that gets in one of these train wrecks, and they're, sh they're sure you're wrong. Like, no, no, Dad. We don't live in both of them. See, we, we, have, we have little mental train wrecks like this. I remember for me as a kid, it took me a while to get that, that ice and water and water vapor were like the same thing. Hoping God, oh my soul, He is strong and He's strong to save. Hoping God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Christian bookstore shelves are packed with books touting the true way the church should operate. Some believe that everything should be done exactly like the first century church. How can we know if what we practice as Christians is truly biblical? The book of Acts details how the church functioned after the death and resurrection of Christ. 
Pastor Ricky will be gleaning insights for us from this book that will help us understand the church in this age. You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Alcantar of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message as taught at Cross of Grace Church can be downloaded from our website at betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place your order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church, we invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. For more information, including driving directions, visit betternewsradio.com. The theme music here on Better News Radio was provided courtesy of Sovereign Grace Music. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from the book of Acts next time on Better News Radio.